Good morning, church. How are you doing? It is nice to have fall, isn't it? I saw a meme this past week that was on Wednesday, you know, when it was, what, 91, 92 degrees. And it said, you know, actually, it's not bad for July 71st. <laughs> That's kind of the way it was, wasn't it? And then I saw something else in the news that said in the first week of fall, three events were happening simultaneously. We had 100-degree weather in the south. We had three feet of snow in Montana, and there was a Cat 5 hurricane in the Atlantic. First time ever those three things have happened, much less in the first week of fall. So who knows what's going on out there? He does. And so we don't have anything to worry about. We just go along and let him lead us and guide us. And that's what we're going to continue to talk about because by now, if you haven't heard, we as leaders of Generation Church believe that God is calling us to a new season, a new place, and a new way of being his body to the people of Hartford County that he's called us to minister to. And so we're in a series called Wonder because we're all wondering what it looks like. We're all wondering how it's going to come about, and we're wondering about the great things that God wants to do through us if we obey, if we walk in obedience to this call, if we are faithful in the giving of ourselves to the cause of Christ, because we have this promise. Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say Alex will build Alex's church. He said, I will build my church, and so if we are properly aligned with his purposes and we are properly in place, then we can be assured that the unseen future is the best future. It is exactly where we want to be. And so that's kind of what we've been talking about and will continue to talk about through this series and be challenged by because God is calling us to know that this is a season when we have to step out of our comfort zones. We step out of what's familiar to us because we hear his voice, because we know that he has taking us to a place that's better than this place. As nice as this place has been and as much as God has done in this place, there's a new place, a new season, and new work to be doing for the kingdom. And we recognize that that brings up a lot of questions. The first question that we've talked about is the question, where? And Alex dealt with that the first couple of weeks, saying essentially we have no idea where when we think of it geographically, but we do understand that the where that we're headed to is the place where God wants us and God will lead us to so that we can fulfill our purpose. So where, where a better place could we be than the place where God has in mind for us? Then we kind of talked about last week a little bit of the why. Well, why are we moving? And I said to you this, I said, we're moving partially because God is positioning us to become a community ideally prepared to bless others through the beautiful, creative expression of his love that he's birthed into us as individuals and he's birthed into us as a church. So he's positioning us. And that's as much in the sense of attitude as it is in the sense of location. We, in our hearts, we have to be in the right place. In our minds, we have to be on board, if you will, with this move of God at this season. In spite of our questions, in spite of the fact that we'd love to know a lot more of the details, believe me, the leadership would like to know a lot more of the details too, but this is where faith becomes real, right? This is where faith stops being something that we think we have 
and it really becomes something that we have to truly demonstrate that we have. And so we're being positioned to become a community, becoming closer, becoming more involved with each other, knowing each other better, encouraging one another, spurring one another on to love and good works, as Scripture says. That's the whole point behind the friends giving and just being able to continue to build us into a community that God really can use so that we are ideally prepared to bless other people as each one of us realizes the gift that God's put into us that is a beautiful and creative expression of his love. So that what comes out of our mouths, what comes out of our hands and our actions, what comes out of our attitudes and our hearts is something that really honors God and something that really draws other people into the beauty of who he is. I was talking a lot last week about the fact that we are the light of the world, that our calling as a church means that we are to shine the light of Christ into the darkness that's all around us so that we can point other people back to that love. And throughout this series, we've been looking at Abraham, the character of Abraham and his call, which is so important as an example to us. And we've named him as our faith pioneer, as someone who's kind of demonstrated to us what it means to be willing to hear the voice of God, give up everything that's comfortable, everything that you're anchored in, your family, your location, your vocation, and moving on to this place where God wants us to be. So today, having looked sort of at the where and sort of at the why, even though we have a lot more to discover, I want to talk to you a little bit about the how. How we move. And that really kind of is a double-edged sword, because part of the how is the logistics. You know, how are we going to get all of these wires out of here, and how are we going to get all of these chairs and all of these instruments and all to this new location, and what's it going to look like? And that's important, and that will get figured out as well. But the wonder thing to me is more why God is calling us and how God is calling us. When I think of the logistics, you know, it's amazing to me. Can you picture yourself being Abraham, living the life you're living day by day by day, a good life amongst friends and family, comfortable life, doing pretty well economically, and all of a sudden God says, get up and leave. But if you've ever noticed in Genesis 12, it it doesn't give any real indication as to how God spoke to him. It simply says, God said to Abraham. You know, and sometimes I think, well, that's kind of like getting cheated. Because after all, Moses gets this burning bush, right? And, and how about Mary? Mary gets the angel Gabriel. I guarantee you, if I saw the burning bush or the angel Gabriel showed up, we go, yeah, this is God, right? We, we wouldn't doubt. We wouldn't fear. We wouldn't have any concern. Or even Balaam. Balaam gets talked to his, by his donkey, for Pete's sake. If you go home and your cat says, you know, I really think God's calling you to go to. I mean, that would be easy, right? But it just simply says that Abraham hears God without all of the details. And I, I often wonder what that's about. And as I was contemplating that and thinking about speaking this morning, I was trying to come up with a, like a modern example Somebody, you know, some hero in the faith that I could point to and say, well, this is how they heard from God. And kind of God said to me, dude, look at yourself. 
And I'm like, what? He goes, I called you into ministry, something you never thought you would do, something you never even expected or wanted to do. And so I thought back 24 years ago on a beautiful fall Saturday afternoon, just like yesterday was. I'm outside playing football with one of my sons, and this is in the dark ages back when we had landline phones. Amy comes out to me, and she says, you have a phone call. And she says, it's the bishop. And what she meant by that was the leader of the church or the leader of the denomination of the church that we were attending was on the phone. And I go in and I pick up the phone and he says to me, he said, Chris, Pastor Millwood, our pastor, has requested to move on to another assignment. And in talking to the church, they'd actually like you to become the pastor. Now, you got to remember this ex-altar boy, Roman Catholic kid, the difference between laity and clergy is like as high as Mount Everest. So the idea of going into ministry was just definitely not on my radar. And, you know, I was so stunned by what he was saying. It was just like my donkey talking to me almost. And I'm like, well, I really don't know how to respond to you. And he says, well, I don't want you to respond right now. What I want you and Amy to do is pray over the weekend and then come see me on Monday morning. And you have to understand, at this point, Amy and I had been married about two years. We had been combining our, we combined our family and had moved to a whole new area. So we were starting a new life already. And we were thinking, well, we'll just find a church that fits now in this new area and, and move on and settle in the life that we had envisioned for ourselves. And that's the way we, we kind of left it. And, you know, Amy and I did pray about it, and we talked about it, and we said, well, unless God really blows us away in this conversation, the answer is, nah, we don't really think that's what we should be doing. So sure enough, on Monday morning, we get in the car and we drive from Eldersburg, where we live, down to Columbia, where the bishop's headquarters was, and we're sitting in the conversation, and when you know, God just blew us away. The story itself is a little too long to go into the details, but he just knew that this was coming from God. And that's how we got called, or I got called into formal ministry, and every plan that we had laid got turned upside down. And all of a sudden, I found myself to be the pastor of a church in Columbia, which set my life in motion, which is why I'm standing in front of you today. That's how God works. And so the how is critical in the sense of how we respond. It's more, it's not just the logistics of what are we going to do and where are we going to go and how is it all going to happen. The how that I really want to talk about today is the how of attitude. How are we going to answer the call? How are we going to respond when God says, I'm going to uproot you from all that you know and all that's comfortable and I'm going to ask you to step out and do something that may not be so comfortable, something that may not be so familiar. And so the question is, in what spirit, in what attitude will we respond? I told you last week, I'm super excited. I'm excited because of the story I just told you. And if you go back before that story, I can tell you the story of how I know God called me to even marry Amy when I wasn't looking to get married. So in other words, there's enough testimony. The word of my testimony is what convinces me of the faith. It makes me excited when I hear a pastor who said, I've heard God's voice. I think we should be moving. And then we get together as a leadership team and confirm that that's what God is saying. I find it exciting. You may not, but I'm the one with the microphone. 
And so when we think about this, Abraham is a faith pioneer in what he shows us, but what I want to concentrate on today is that he's also a faithful pioneer. That's kind of what I titled this. He's a faithful pioneer, and God is asking us to be faithful as well. When we get into the New Testament, and people are kind of looking back on Abraham, you know, the story in Genesis kind of gives us the facts and the details, but when we get into the New Testament and look back and see how the early church was viewing Abraham, we can turn to the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, which is commonly known as the Hall of Fame of Faith, and we find Abraham is, is right there. And beginning at verse 8 in Hebrews 11, I think we have this on the screen, it says, it was, listen to this, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. But did you notice that? Abraham's obedience is prompted by what? Faith. He obeys because he has faith. Sometimes we think, well, if I obey, then faith will follow. And sometimes that's right. But when God is wanting to do a big thing in your life, it's usually the other way around. It's without the details. It's with a promise, but it's without the details. And so what we have to do is we grab on to the promise by faith, and we begin to walk in the promise knowing who the promise giver is. And that's what we're going to dig a little deeper into today. But notice that it's by faith. He leaves his comfort zone. He leaves all that is familiar, and he heads out not knowing where he is going by faith. The next verse even reiterates it. In verse 9, it says, And even when he reached the land that God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was a foreigner living in tents, And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. So his faith prompts him to live not as someone who's going to be inculcated into the culture around him, but someone who's going to live differently even when he's in the land that God promised him because he's living by faith, not by sight. Does that sound familiar? That's what Scripture tells us we're supposed to do as well, right? And he lives it in such a powerful way. Notice that the second and third generation are following him into the faith. If you're a parent here and you want your kids and your grandkids to be people of faith, model it. And this is a perfect opportunity to model it for us as a church. If we want the second and third and fourth generations of Generation Church to be worshiping God and to be impacting Hartford County, then we have to be the ones that model it. And we have to begin to live by faith, moving always deeper and deeper into the promise. Because here's the point. Canaan is not the promise, right? Canaan is the location. What's the promise? The promise that he was given was that all nations would be blessed by you. So when we think about, well, where in the world are we going to be in January of 2020, We're going to be in some sort of Canaan, but don't think Canaan is the promise. The promise is we're going to have a positive impact in the lives of the people of Hartford County, people you work with, people who are your neighbors, people who may even be your friends and your family. That's the promise God has given us. That's what it means that he's going to build his church. He's not building it so that we look good or to puff us up. He's doing it 
so that we can be used for his purposes. And so we really, really need to understand that if we're going to follow the example, that it's the promise of the blessing of what comes out of us rather than where we are. And so ultimately, it all comes down to this. What do we mean by faith? What does Scripture mean? What does the writer of this letter mean when he says that they live by faith? Because faith is a word that is often misunderstood. How many of you are movie buffs? You consider yourself movie buff? Really? Not very many. Not as many as I would have thought. How many of you at least can come up with a favorite line from a favorite movie? Right? So here's what I want you to do. You got, I want you to get that in mind. Get your, get your movie. Get your line. On the count of three, I want you to say that line out loud. Okay? Ready? One, two, three. They will build it, Ray. They most definitely come. I chose one of my favorite movies is Field of Dreams. You know Field of Dreams? Sometimes I feel like I'm aging myself out of all of my sermon illustrations. Field of Dreams, classic movie. James Earl Jones has this great uh, soliloquy at the end of the movie. If you're not familiar with it, the story, of course, is that Ray Kinsella is a farmer in Iowa who gets this vision to build a baseball stadium in the middle of his cornfield, which will have a negative economic impact. And along the way, he meets some strange characters. Some old-time baseball players come back to life on the field. But James Earl Jones, who happens to be like, Let's see, for your, he's Morgan Freeman before Morgan Freeman, known for his voice, right? And at the end, he's talking about just this great, it's too long to repeat, but the, the end of the line is Ray Kinsella's here, his brother-in-law's got the mortgage in his hand saying, Ray, they're going to they're gonna foreclose on your property in the morning, sell it now, sell it now. And James Earl Jones is sitting over there on the bleachers looking through this encyclopedia of baseball, and he stops and he says, People will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But you know what's really neat about that? I love when they turn famous lines in movies into memes. Some of the best memes, right? I, I like this one. Anybody like The Princess Bride? Oh, yeah. This, this meme, this line from The Princess Bride, I think is, is incredible. And when... Uh, you know, the one character keeps using the word inconceivable. It's inconceivable. And then Inigo Montoya says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. And so all the time when people are getting into political arguments or if you're one of the grammar police on Facebook, you see this meme pop up a lot. So it's about words. What do words mean? What does faith mean? Well, the Bible actually contains a definition of faith at the very beginning of Hebrews chapter 11. And I want you to look at the J.B. Phillips translation because I think it captures it really well. It says, now faith means putting our full confidence in the things we hope for. It means being certain of the things that we cannot see. Full confidence and certainty for the things we hope for and the things we cannot see. So out of that confidence and out of that hope, to live by faith means that we act in obedience to God rather than merely responding to our own intuitions. Rather than trusting our feelings, rather than trusting what common sense would say or what culture would say, we actually 
look at the spirit inside of us and find that it oftentimes runs counter to the very things that we think, right? Oftentimes it runs very cultural counter to the way people around us do things or think. And so that's how we're called to live, putting full confidence in what we hope for. So when you think about generation in its next season, would you say you have a hope in your heart? Do you, do you have something that you're hoping we do, hoping we become, hoping for some expression of what it means to be the body of Christ? And can you say that you have a vision? Can you say that, that you can see how God is going to touch us and use us and position us to be this great light amongst the darkness, to be this great way maker, if you will, through which God draws other people to himself? That's what has to begin to build up in us in this season of preparation. So throughout October and November and December, I want to encourage us to be before God in prayer, before God in expectation that he's got something beautiful for us to do and to be, and for him to begin revealing that to us. Because again, as leaders, we don't think we have the answers. We believe we all have the answers. And we believe that God has as much to say about the future of Generation Church through each one of you as it does to Alex and I. And so we want you to be thinking about this, to be people of faith who are seeking God's will. If you jump over to the book of Romans, I don't have this on a screen, but Paul writes about Abraham this way. He said, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this way he brought glory to God. His faith grew stronger. He kept pushing in by faith. He kept moving closer and closer to the realization of the promise of God. He never stops hoping. He never stops believing. He never wavers. His faith gets stronger. That's amazing. And how does that happen in our lives? How does our faith grow stronger? Our faith grows stronger when, while we're in that holding pattern, while we're in that waiting pattern, and that hope and that confidence are beginning to build, we come more and more to trust the character of God. We come more and more to trust the character of the one who makes the promise. The character and the relationship become more important than the promise. Because the promise, if we get it too fast, then we never appreciate it. We never appreciate the character of the one who gives it to us, right? We tend to take things for granted, right, when they come easy. But as we wait in faith, all of a sudden God himself becomes more and more precious to us because our faith is in him, not in what he does for us. That's maturity. In our Christian walk, maturity is learning to trust and have more faith in God himself than in what he can do for us. I mean, most of us, we were talking in our Good and Beautiful Life class this morning, most of us come through the simple gospel of we're sinners who need rescue. And so we, we embrace God at first because of what he does for us on the cross of Jesus. But if you never grow beyond that point, then the world's going to come back in and suck you up. And so the relationship with God is what becomes so important, and that's how our faith grows stronger and stronger. Learning to trust that God himself is faithful. We can be faithful because God himself is faithful to us. Something we only learn over time in a relationship, right? Think about a marriage relationship. Faithfulness is the product of time spent. 
And it's the product of relationship lived out. And so Abraham gets his reward, right? His reward is that he is declared righteous by God, it says there in Romans 4. He's in a right relationship with God because he's living by faith rather than having it all figured out and living by sight. And so the point of it all in Abraham's example comes down to this. Trusting the faithfulness of God and responding in obedience is what leads to the blessing and what brings us into his blessing. Trusting the faithfulness of God, step one, and responding in obedience to his leading brings us into his blessing. So we can believe that God has good things in mind for Generation Church. We say that all the time. But do we live it out? Do we walk in that truth, responding in obedience when he tells us to do something? Please understand, we recognize what a big step God's calling us to make at this point. It's a huge step in the life of a church. And as I said last Sunday, I'll say again, I have such an honor to serve with a pastor who's not willing to just stay in his comfort zone, but really wants what God wants for this body. And so he's leading us to walk in this kind of obedience by taking steps that don't necessarily make sense to our human minds. Steps of faith. That's what we're called to. But conversely, understand this. The lack of trust and the lack of obedience that causes us to rebel against God also has consequences. So we have a choice. We have a choice in our attitude. We have a choice of how we're going to look at this move and whether or not we're going to be fully on board or whether we're going to be those people who grumble and moan and complain and ask why we have to do this. 400 years. Let's jump ahead from Abraham. 400 years. The people of Israel, his generation, the nations, have been in slavery in Egypt. And as they're in slavery in Egypt, they're crying out to God. And what God is doing with those people in in that time is actually building them into a community. Because they weren't ready to fulfill the promise just by living in Canaan. They had to go through some adversity so that they became people of faith, became a community of God. But ultimately, it's time to come out. So God sends Moses, speaks to him through that burning bush, tells him to go to Egypt. Moses gives him a whole bunch of reasons why he shouldn't be the one to do it. And God says, just go. And, of course, you know the story. The Egyptians ultimately cave in through the plagues, and the people are let out. And they get to the very cusp of their Canaan. They get to the very cusp of the promised land. And then all of a sudden, somebody has the idea who says, we should send some spies in there. We should go check it out before we actually make the commitment. And so they do. Moses picks 12 spies, sends them into the land. And this story is in Numbers 13 and 14. I'm not going to read it, but you can look it up for yourself. They go into the land, and he says, check it out. See what's there. And they go from the very northern part of the land down to the southern part of the land, across the east and across the west. And then they come back, and they report. And what they report, they said, you are not going to believe this land. This land is so fertile. This land produces, well, Scripture says they're even carrying a, a cluster of grapes. I think I have a picture of this. A cluster of grapes that's so big it has to be carried on a pole between two men. That's some good agriculture right there, isn't it? Well, what it represents, of course, is the fruitfulness 
of the place where God wants them to be so that not only are they blessed, but they can bless others. And so they're pretty excited about this, except they say, but I once had a pastor friend who did a sermon series called The Big Butts of the Bible because the butts will get you in trouble. And it says, some of the said, but the land is full of giants. And we're like grasshoppers to them. And it says that that report spread fear through the rest of the people. So all of a sudden, they're a little bit hesitant. Well, they're a lot hesitant about going and taking the very promise that God has led them to. The very thing that he prepared for them in all of those years of adversity and slavery Go take the land. I'm giving you the land. Well, we, we can't. The land looks good, and there's you know, lots of things that we like about it, but the people living there are powerful. They're giants, and we'll never be able to overtake them, so we're not going to go. But there's a guy named Caleb. Caleb says, wait, 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 wait. He says, We can certainly conquer this because God has given us this already as a promise. We just have to take it by faith. We have to understand that no matter what it looks like, the promise giver is greater than these people we think are in our way. And the crowd goes, no, no, we can't go up against them. We can't rebel against them. And he's going, no, we really can. We can. God's going to give it to us. And ultimately, they don't go in. Ultimately, they rebel and they get to grumbling and complaining about their circumstances. And they even say this, and this this blows my mind. They say, you know what? It would have been better if we were back in slavery in Egypt. Why don't we just appoint another leader and we'll go back to slavery? That's the opposite of faith. See, here's the thing. We're heading into the promise that God's giving us. We don't know all the details. We're not sure exactly what it looks like, but we know who the promise giver is, right? And the truth is, the promised land is full of obstacles as well as opportunities. We're not thinking about this as some pie-in-the-sky easy thing that's going to come to us. There are obstacles in front of us. Maybe as many obstacles as opportunities, but the point is faith looks beyond the obstacles with confidence in the one who made the promise. So to live by faith doesn't deny the obstacles. It just says those obstacles are nothing that God cannot overcome for us. And so our attitude becomes one of excitement. Our attitude becomes one of anticipation. Our attitude becomes one of faith because the opposite of faith, what those people were afraid of that cost them their chance to be in the promised land because God said, you know what, I'm not going to deal with these people, no faith. They're actually all, everybody 20 and older is going to die in the wilderness. That's why they wound up in the wilderness for 40 years. And everybody who was 20 and over at that time died in the wilderness, didn't make it into the land of promise. A lack of faith. And you know what steals faith? Fear. They were afraid. They looked at the obstacles, felt the obstacles were more than the opportunities. Trusted their eyes, trusted their minds, rather than trusting the Spirit of God that was leading them in. And so our Canaan, too, is going to present obstacles and challenges, and we, too, 
have the choice to either respond in faith or respond in fear. We have the choice of either obedience or resistance to God's call. That's where we are. How will we respond? So here's the question I want you to contemplate throughout the week and the months as you're praying and seeking God. Just before we partake of the communion together. What about our impending church move challenges your faith the most? When you think about what we're talking about doing, giving up this place, giving up perhaps this normal routine, and stepping out in faith to something else God has for us, what challenges you in that? I know you have challenges. I have challenges. I have questions. I have, I won't call them doubts, but I have concerns. But which one challenges you the most? And what I invite you to do is I invite you to let us hear from you. I invite you to enter into the conversation with us as leaders so that we can begin to talk about those things and help you move from fear to faith, from doubt to faith, from question about whether it's right into obedience. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Because of the one we serve, the one who called Alex and Raquel to plant this church nine years ago. And the one who's been faithful to see them from a school to a movie theater to this building. See, once you've walked with God long enough and he's already proven faithful, it becomes that much easier for us to be faithful. And so we're called to be faith pioneers, and we're called to be faithful pioneers. Amen? Amen. The Bible tells us that the antidote to fear is love. Perfect love casts out all fear. And I loved what we sang earlier, committing ourselves to believing God's perspective of us, what he says, we are, we are. And it says that perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And what the table represents here, what the communion table represents is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It represents him taking the punishment so that we don't have to take the punishment. And so all of that fear gets driven out by the perfect love that gave its body and gave its blood for us. And so as we close this morning, I invite you to come and partake the bread, the cup. If you need, these are gluten-free crackers on this side. But as you take, I want you just to ask God to take from you any fear, not even necessarily related to this move, but if today you are here and your heart and your mind are full of fear or apprehension, anxiety, and worry, I want you by faith to take these elements as instruments of God's love for you and leave here at peace because that's what your Father in Heaven wants for you. That's what he's made possible. So in this representation, receive the love of God today. God bless you.
by the way, if you don't know the story, there was, there were two people that were over 20 that made it into the promised land. Joshua, who was the leader that replaced Moses, and Caleb, the one who had the faith. In Numbers 24, it says this about him. God says, they're never going to see the land, but my servant Caleb is different from the others. He has remained loyal to me, and I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will receive the full share of that land. That's the reward of a faith pioneer. And that's the reward that God has for everyone who sets their hearts on living by faith. Would you stand with me? Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in your house this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for the encouragement of your word, Lord, that reminds us who we are and who you are. And I pray that for each one of us today and throughout this week, whether we need you to make a way or light a darkness or do a miracle, that we would believe and obey and see you move in our lives. And not only in us, Lord, but through us, to be the people of God who touch other people with light and bring healing and peace to a world so desperate. So thank you, God, for loving us, empowering us. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. And as we go, may we be faithful to you this day and always. Through your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, and together we say amen. God bless you. Have a fantastic week.